Can you believe that we're about to enter the 15th year of the 2000s, of this century? Anybody remember all the panic over Y2K? Remember that? Seems kind of silly now we look back on it, doesn't it? I mean, do you remember that? 15 years ago, you know, this time is when we were all worried about that. And people were emptying their bank accounts and, and hoarding food and, and water and People bought generators, and they built safe uh, rooms in their houses or built bunkers, and, and uh, we were constantly being um, panicked by the news that computer systems were going to fail, and, and communications were, was going to break down, and emergency systems were all going to be stretched beyond the breaking point. I was with uh, Walmart Distribution at the time, and I was part of a task force that had to certify every piece of equipment in our distribution center. We had to, uh, we had to check it. it. It was a checklist and things we had to go through to make sure that it would work after Y2K hit. Now, and if there was any question, we had, to, we had to pitch it and replace it. It took a year to complete that, uh, that certification process, and it ate up thousands of man hours. I mean, there were, there were uh, forms that had to be filled out and and signatures that had to be gotten, and faxes that had to be sent back and forth, and documents that had to be retained at the distribution center, and documents that had to be sent to the home office. And it cost thousands, even hundreds of thousands of dollars, and that was just at one facility. At the time, we had 85 of them. And then, of course, January the 1st, 2000 came, and dun-dun-dun, nothing happened. Nothing. Not a blip. So another new year is coming. It's inevitable. On Wednesday, we start 2014. Many of us already have plans in place for festivities on Tuesday night, right? That come in at all points along the, uh, well, let's just call it the raucousness scale, I dare say. Bill Vaughn was a newspaper columnist. He once wrote, Youth is when you're allowed to stay up late on New Year's Eve. Middle age is when you're forced to. <laughs> he also, I always wondered when my dad went to bed. Dad, it's only 9 o'clock. Yeah, well, whatever. An optimist stays up until midnight to see New Year in. The pessimist stays up to make sure the old year leaves. And isn't that kind of where we are? A lot of us, we kind of have mixed feelings, don't we, about the new year. I mean, there's a sense of, of excitement about the coming new year, but, but some of us are a little sad, a little reluctant to see the, the old year go. I know that, uh, you know, sometimes it's based on things that we didn't accomplish, things that we wanted to get done and we didn't do. I mean, when I take a look at my 2013 New Year's resolutions, I have a little less than 72 hours to lose 50 pounds and learn to play the banjo. I don't think it's going to happen. But one of the things that I really like about the new year is that it's an opportunity for a fresh start. Every year we find ourselves with new opportunities. I've got quite a few things I'd like to accomplish this year, both personally and, and in the ministry of our church. New Year's a great time to start on those things. It's the same for most of us, isn't it? Most of us look at that, that clean, 
unmarked 2014 calendar stretching out before us, 365 shiny new days. And we start thinking about things that we'd like to accomplish. For some of us, it's a health goal. Maybe we want to lose weight or we want to, to exercise more. There will be a ton of people who will join the community center in the next week or so. And the place will be packed until about mid-February. And after that, there won't be anybody there anymore. You can go back and, and have plenty of room. Some of us have set spiritual goals to read the Bible through in a year or to read a portion of it through in a year, to have a daily uh, prayer and devotion time. Others of us ha have set financial goals. Maybe 2014 is the year that we want to get out of debt, you know, or the year that, that, that we want to invest in a certain way or, or, or we want to save money for something that we want or need. Some of us have set career goals or business goals. And we do that because New Year, the New Year is a great time to make a fresh start, to turn the page on stuff that we'd like to get going, accomplish in the next year. It's also a great time to turn the page on some things that, that we can put behind us, that we should put behind us. And that's what I want to talk about today. I want us to look at a passage of Scripture that seems to be tailor-made for a day just like today. If you've got your Bible, you want to turn over to Philippians chapter 3. It's a, it's a perfect passage to learn about, to learn what, what God wants us to know about what we can accomplish, what we can look forward to as we enter a new year. Philippians chapter 3, and we'll, uh, we'll pick up in uh, verse 12 here in a moment. The scriptures, of course, are in your message notes. And in, uh, on the screen as we go along, so that you can follow along today. This is the Apostle Paul writing. It's his letter to the church at Philippi, the Christians there. Let's pick up in verse 12. I don't mean to say that I have already achieved these things. Now let's hit the pause button there. We need to know what these things are. If you'll go back some point later on and read three or four verses back before verse 12, you'll see that he's really talking about Jesus. He's talking about knowing Jesus. He's talking about uh, becoming more intimate in his relationship with Jesus, knowing more of Jesus and more about Jesus and serving him. That's what he's talking about. So he says, I don't mean to say that I have already achieved these things in my relationship with Christ or that I have already reached perfection, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling us. Five things that I want to show you this morning that we can learn from what Paul says here. Some of this is not uh, new news to any of us. But maybe today a fresh perspective, taking a fresh look at it, especially in this time of year when we're looking at a fresh start, when we're looking at turning the page. Maybe now, this Sunday, is the day that we get it. 
and begins to take root in our life and begins to make change. Here's the first lesson that we can learn from what Paul says here. We all have an imperfect past. We all have an imperfect past. You've heard me say it before. Every single one of us can look back at our past and find something we're ashamed of. Some of us can find more somethings than others, but all of us can find something that we're ashamed of. Nobody gets a free pass. We've all got blemishes and spots and stains that we just as soon no one else knew about and that we wish we could forget. And the Apostle Paul was no different. He had an incredibly ugly past, persecuting the early church. And my guess is that based on the the time that he spent in prison and the the long journeys that they went on, that he had plenty of time to think about that and to reflect on that and to feel ashamed about that. But we have to remember something. Paul was a religious guy even before he met Christ. Right? He was a Pharisee. He was a Jewish man. He was a Pharisee. He was an up-and-coming religious leader. He had the, the trust of the religious establishment anywhere he went based on who he was, who his family was. Uh, the, the establishment that was in place in the early days of the church, was they were looking for men like Paul. There's our leader. There's our next leader. There's one who's potentially in line to become a very important leader in our religious system. He'd had one of the best educations available in that day. It was like he had gone to Harvard or or the Princeton or, you know, the University of, oh, I don't know, pick one, Alabama of his day. He had a great education. He could quote scripture. At minimum, he had the first five books of our Old Testament memorized. Do you know that that's some of the most boring scripture that there is? How are you going to... How do you memorize the book of Numbers? I can't remember my phone number. He attended synagogue every week. From a religious standpoint, Paul had it going on. I mean, he, he, he was set. But all of his religion, all of his prestige, all of his standing, all of his status, in spite of the fact that when he walked down the street, other people aspired to be like him, aspired to be him. All of that didn't keep him from having a past that he grew ashamed of as time went by. We might have grown up in church. We might have been involved in church. We might have been a church leader of some sort, but just like Paul, we have an imperfect past. It's imperfect because of the sin in our lives. It's imperfect because of our selfish, self-centered choices. It's imperfect because of those times in our lives when we've chosen our way over God's way. It's imperfect because we've all made mistakes and made bad decisions and done things because they were fun instead of because they were smart. And there's no way to get away from that. What's done is done. The past is past. Isn't that right? You can't change the past. But the second lesson we can learn from Paul is that we don't have to be a slave to our past. 
You know, Paul could have said, hey, the reality is I put Christians in prison. For no other reason than that they had turned from, from Judaism and embraced Christianity. They were followers of Christ. There were other times when I cast my vote for the death penalty when it came time to decide about what to do with these people. And there was even one time when I egged the crowd on as they were killing, stoning to death. One of Jesus' followers, I even held their coats. Go, boys! It would have been very easy for Paul to come to the conclusion there's no hope for me. After what I've done, the things that I'm guilty of, there's no way I could ever be used by Jesus. But instead, Paul says, I have something to live for. I have something worth moving forward for. Paul could look back on the fact that Christ had redeemed him from his past and was continually working in him. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 15 and 16, Paul writes this. This is a trustworthy saying, and everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I am the worst of them all. Some translations, Paul says, I am the chief of sinners. I'm their boss. I'm the one. You gather all the sinners. I'm the one that's in charge because of my experience. <laughs> my training. I get to be the boss. Verse 16 begins with those two words, those two beautiful words, but God. I was the worst sinner of them all, but God had mercy on me. So that Christ Jesus could use me as a prime example of his great patience with even the worst sinners. Then others will realize that they too can believe in him and receive eternal life. Paul said, I'm the worst of all. But Christ could even use me. He, in fact, he's using me as an example for other people who think, I've gone too far. I've done too much. I've been too bad. My mistakes are, 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 are too horrible. My choices were too wrong. Christ can't use me. Paul says, not true. Paul says, hey, in spite of my past, I'm moving on. In spite of the fact that I have blood on my hands, I'm moving on. How do you say it in Philippians? forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. He knew he had a past. Again, I, those long, lonely nights, I think he thought about that. It shows up in his writing. But he refused to be a slave to it. Paul, Paul's pretty old when he writes the book of Philippians. I won't tell you how old I think he was because I'll end up offending somebody, but he's older than me. Let's put it that way. And the truth is, he's going to be dead in a couple years. He's going to be beheaded under orders from the Roman Emperor Nero. Crazy Nero is going to give the order for Paul to be beheaded. And he's under house arrest when he writes this. And he's got a Roman guard that, that is hanging out with him all the time. In fact, their practice in that day was for the guard to be shackled to the prisoner who was under house arrest. They were 
It wasn't just a bracelet on your ankle. They had another person there to make sure you didn't go anywhere you weren't supposed to go. And he's there in prison in a time when being a Christian was hazardous to your health and your your long-term future. And again, it would have been easy for Paul to say, I'm an old man. I've worked hard. Now I'll I'll just kind of plot along here and bide my time until the end, until they, until they chop my head off whenever that is. Here's a guy, though, listen. Here's a guy who, in spite of his perfect past, at this point in his life, has had decades of fruitful ministry. He, he's the most successful evangelist and church planter and theologian in the history of the church. He could have rested on all of that. He could have said, circumstances being what they are and what I've accomplished with my life, I can just take it easy. But Paul still felt he had something to to shoot for, to aim at, to work toward. He felt that he needed to continue to grow in his relationship with Christ and his service to Christ. In spite of the circumstances he found himself in, he he wanted to strengthen those things. How many people look at their circumstances and decide, it's just not worth it anymore? Way too many. And yeah, of course, to be sure, there are some people who are convinced they've got it all together, and so they don't really need to give much thought to their relationship with Christ. But overwhelmingly, many people find themselves in situations and circumstances that cause them to think, why even try? Why not just quit? But if Paul is our example, if Paul is our example, that means it's never too late. It's never too late. And our circumstances do not have to stand in the way of our relationship to Jesus or our effectiveness for him. Lesson number three from Paul. No matter where we are, we can move on to bigger, or I'm sorry, to better and greater things. No matter where we are, we can move on to better and greater things. So, again, this old man on house arrest, he can't know it, but he's going to be dead in a few years. He does know that he lives under an oppressive government. He does know that that he only lives from day to day based on the whim of government officials, that at any point in time, the right official could say, off with his head, and he'd be gone. And he could have sat back. He could have retired from living for Christ. He could have retired from ministry, but he was of the opinion that he still had things to do, and more than that, he still needed to know Christ better. Do you... Do you understand how huge that is? Here's a guy who has been following Jesus for 25 years. Conservatively, 25 years. Maybe as long as 30 years. And get this. This is is enormous. He was the only apostle to be personally discipled by the risen Christ. Everybody else had known Jesus as a human being in the flesh on this earth, right? 
Paul was the only apostle to be discipled by Jesus after his resurrection from the dead. For three years. He went away into Arabia, he says in his account. It's kind of hard to put some pieces of Paul's life together, but one thing we know is that he went away for three years. He said he went to Arabia. I think, I believe, he was with Jesus, the risen Christ, for those three years. That's big. This is the guy saying, I want Christ even more. I want to know Jesus better. I want to, to have a, a deeper relationship with him. He had a relationship with Jesus that most of us can only dream of. And yet he says, it's not enough. It's not deep enough. It's not, it's not good enough yet. And it didn't matter that he was under house arrest. And it didn't matter that he was older. And it didn't matter what his current circumstances were. He wanted more of Jesus. And he was willing to do whatever it took to make that happen. And that leads us to the fourth lesson we can take from Paul. And that is that we only move on intentionally. We only move on intentionally. You know one of the things that you have to battle when you teach the grace message is that sometimes people get the idea that the grace message is a life of passivity. That all I have to do is just kind of sit here and everything will come to me. But that's not the case. There's a word that doesn't really fit well into a relationship with Jesus. That word is convenience. Now, we love convenience, don't we? Yeah, I'm the only one, I'm sure. Yeah, I, I mean, I like it when I've got the remote and, you know, my drink and, and my snack. And, and it might get cold, so I've got to have a blanket nearby. I need a pillow, and i got everything just like I like it. And that's when I am super content. Amen. I mean, even when it comes to, to, to working or praying or studying or whatever, I only really enjoy it when it's convenient. But listen to the words of Paul again in Philippians. I press He says it twice. I press on. In the original language, that word meant to pursue someone like angrily. It also had the meaning of, of running after something hard, to, to run with all the strength that you have. And the, the word would have created, and the people who heard it, a mental picture of a runner straining for the tape, running for that tape at the finish line with every ounce of effort. Paul said, I'm not just going to lay back and let life happen. He said, I'm going to do what I can with my current circumstances without any excuses. If anybody could have some excuses, Paul could have had them, but he didn't use any excuses. He just... He just did it because Christ was worth it. Christ was worth the effort for Paul. And folks, if we'll make the effort, we will find that he is worth it for us too. 
Paul was determined to move on from his past and from his present circumstances in order to gain a, a deeper intimacy with Jesus Christ. And that takes us to, to number five. The goal is worth the effort. The goal is worth the effort. What did Paul call it? He didn't call it a, a paycheck. He didn't call it a wage. What did he call it? He called it a prize. It's like winning a prize, he said. In fact, Paul was specifically referring to the medals that were awarded to the athletes at the original Olympic Games. That was what he was talking about. When we focus on Christ and follow Him, listen to me, we win. We win. I see so many people in lukewarm relationships with Christ. Right? They, they don't see the prize. They just see that, that there's some commitment. They just see that, that it does take some effort. My, listen, in spite of how badly I might wish it would, my Bible is never going to read itself to me. When I lay down at night, it's not going to open up and go, okay, listen now, pay attention. No, I'm going to have to pick it up. I'm going to have to read it. Listen, you've heard me say this before. We can't pray for each other. Now, understand what I'm saying. We can pray for one another's needs, but I can't pray for you. I can't pray on your behalf. I can't pray in your place. You hear what I'm saying? And you can't pray in mine. I, can't, I mean, I can't go, God, you know, Todd's really busy, and so I've come to pray for him. And uh, can't, I can't be a substitute prayer for you, neither are you for me. If we're going to pray, we're going to have to pray. If we're going to pursue an intimate relationship with God, we're going to have to pursue it. It's worth it. Paul said it's a prize. Paul says it's, he says here that everything he's ever done, everything he's ever had is worthless compared to what he can gain through knowing Christ and serving him. If you back up just a little bit to a verse that we didn't read in Philippians 3, verse 8, Paul says this, Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ. Now, some of you have heard this before. But the New Living Translation is actually quite polite there because that word garbage is actually the word for dung. Scubalon. Do, do you remember the story of some Washington High Society ladies who went to Bess Truman when her husband Harry was president? She said, the, the, the spokesman for the High Society lady said, Mrs. Truman, your husband just uses the word manure entirely too often. And we would like for him not to use the word manure. Could you please stop him from using the word manure? And Miss Truman said, stop him 
She said, it's taken me 30 years to get him to start using it. Paul's not mincing any words here, folks. The New Living Translation says garbage, and I can tell you that the Greek word means dung, but we know what he was saying. He said, ball, up, ball it all up. Ball up my education, my religious experience, my status, any money I've ever had, any career success I've ever achieved, anything I've ever done in my life, ball it all up, and it's a great big pile of it. It's a great big pile. I wish more of us could see the value of Christ like Paul did. I point to everything else in our life and say, it's, it's manure. God help us all to see that the prize is worth the effort. Paul decided to turn the page. He turned the page on his past. He turned the page on his, his circumstances. He, he wanted to move on. And the new year gives us an opportunity to do that. But the truth is, we're not going to flip a switch at midnight on Tuesday. And, and everything that has happened to us be gone. And all we have is the new. I'm not calling you to to flip a switch, I'm calling you to embark on a journey. I'm call, can, I, can I suggest a few things that we can turn the page on in this next year? Things that I believe will help us. First thing we can turn the page on is unforgiveness. Some of us have been hurt. Some of us have been hurt badly. Some of us have just been offended a little bit. You know, we've been irritated. That's not the same as being hurt. You understand that? Some of us have hurt ourselves. But it doesn't matter. Because what we're doing is we're holding on to that and we're refusing to forgive. To forgive that person. To forgive ourselves. Pastor Scott, they don't deserve it. I know that. <laughs> Believe me, I know. And I agree with you. They don't deserve it. But as I've said before, neither do you, and neither do I. In fact, does anybody here honestly believe that they have a right to expect or demand forgiveness from God? Anybody want to raise a hand to that one? Well, that's good, because we don't. We don't have any right to demand or expect forgiveness from God, and we don't have the right to withhold forgiveness from others any more than we have the right to demand forgiveness from God. Truth is, it's only when we begin to get our heads and our hearts around God's grace that we understand the truth about forgiveness. Listen, God doesn't forgive us because of anything we do. Because we're sorry enough, or we feel guilty enough, or we apologize enough, or we, we promise to change enough. God forgives us for one reason and one reason only, because he loves us. And that's it. But God doesn't love us because we're cute, 
or we have a good personality or because we're talented or we have a nice smile. He loves us because he is love. Tully and Chavidjan calls it one-way love. It begins and ends with God. We are the object, but he doesn't love us because of anything other than the fact that he is love. And when we begin to see that, when we begin to see that a love like that exists and that we are its object, it moves us to both awe and humility. And it moves us to extend to others that same kind of love and forgiveness, to share it with people who have abused us and misused us and cheated us and mistreated us. And while we don't have to say it, this is the thought that ought to be in our minds. I forgive you. Not because you apologized or made amends or paid me back or set things right. I forgive you because God loves me. You thought I was going to say because God loves you. No, I forgive you because God loves me. And because God loves me, I am free to love you and forgive you like God forgave me. Unforgiveness is a chain on the soul. But we can break the chain by asking God to help us turn the page on unforgiveness. It would be a great way to start the year. And there's another thing we can turn the page on. We can turn the page on that sin. You know what that sin is, right? Because it's different for every one of us. All of us have something in our lives that we've struggled with or that we've given up on conquering. You know what that is for you. Maybe for you it's, a, maybe it's deceit. Maybe it's lying. Maybe it's, it's gossiping, breaking confidences. Maybe it's, maybe it's taking things that don't belong to you. Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it's looking at inappropriate stuff on the internet or TV or the DVD player. Maybe it's just plain laziness, not taking responsibility for what's under our care. Listen now, the truth is it doesn't matter. We can start this year making that a thing of the past. Not, not with more grit and determination. Boy, I'm going to do it this time, God. But by giving it to Him. Giving it to Him. Some of you have been around long enough to remember when we spent quite a few weeks repeating a, a, a little sentence. Lord, I can't but you can. Lord, I can't overcome this thing in my life. Not by my talents, not by my knowledge, not by my experience or skill. Lord God, you can by your mighty power. I can't overcome it, God, but you can. God, I'm going to give this to you and ask you to bring your resources to bear on whatever it is in my life and help me move beyond it. We don't have to be captive anymore. We don't have to be held in its grip. Paul says in Romans that in Christ we're, we're free and that we don't have to be slaves to sin anymore, that we can be slaves to righteousness. 
let's make 2014 the year we turn the page on that destructive behavior. And then finally, we can turn the page on fear. None of us can say with certainty that the new year will bring us good things or that it will bring us bad things. We can't even say with certainty that we'll be here 12 months from now. But that shouldn't scare us or intimidate us at all. For all of our worries, for all of our setbacks, for all of our circumstances, God has two words, two words that appear over and over and over in the Scripture. When the Lord or one of His angels, one of His messengers would appear to human beings, there were two words that were spoken every time. Fear not. Fear not. Fear not. Will things get worse? Fear not. Will my health get worse? Will I get cancer? Fear not. Will I keep my job? Fear not. Will my family experience hardship? Fear not. Will I will my investments collapse? Will I run out of money this year? Fear not. Will my children disappoint me? Fear not. Will others ridicule my faith, my attempts at faith? Fear not. Will my plans come to nothing? Will my dreams turn to ashes? Fear not. Will I face death this year? Fear not. Whatever we're facing, whatever we will face, whatever comes, God has two words. Fear not. Chin up, child of God. Stop staring at your shoes. Pull your shoulders back. Put a smile on your face. And take your troubles, wrap them up, and give them to the Lord. Cast your cares on Him, for He cares for you. No matter where we find ourselves, no matter what we're going through, is it any worse for us than it was for Paul? House arrest? Living under the whims of a pagan Roman government, a government whose values were far from Christian? Uncertain future? And yet Paul found many reasons to press on for Jesus. So we launch out with great faith into the new year. I believe that the new year will be in many ways like the old year. But we can press on with the promise of a God who said, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. Let's make this new year the best year yet in our relationship with Jesus and our service for him. Bow your heads, please, and close your eyes.